Amen, amen. And uh, thank you, Janelle, for sharing that. We're grateful to hear. And each week you'll get to hear from um, one of our church family members just sharing a little bit about how this passage that we're walking through, the Lord's Prayer, has stirred in their heart and in their life. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 6, we'll go verses 5 through 9 this morning. And if you are a guest, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're worshiping Christ with us. And we're focusing on prayer in 2023. And this is just a start. This is kind of the primer that's going to launch us into our entire year as we look into the Lord's Prayer. This is where we're going to be for the, le- the, the next several weeks. But today where we start is, uh, is the foundation for it all. This is important. Uh, looking and seeing that God is our Father and He's the one that we pray to. Uh, without this as the foundation, all the rest of the house will crack and crumble and lean. And so all of our prayers are built on this truth, this reality that God is our Father in heaven who hears us when we pray. So let's read God's word and then we'll pray together. Starting in verse 5, we'll go through verse 9. It says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray this morning. Father, you are loving, you're good, and you are powerful. You say in your word that you are the father to the fatherless, and you promise us that even if our earthly father forsakes us, that you will always remain faithful. Lord, help us to, to see you more clearly through this passage today. And Lord, may this time that we spend in your word together, may it be pleasing to you and practical to us. Let me ask you to pray something in that vein as well. That this time would help you to know and to love and to see God in deeper and greater ways. And that you would understand his word better this morning. Pray that right now. And if you would, pray for me as well as we look at this passage and we look at the words of Christ together, that I would be able to communicate it clearly this morning. Pray for me now. Father, to the, to the one who is in the room or is online, and is weary and downcast today, would you lift them up? To the one who is lonely and lost, would you strengthen and encourage them today? To the one who is weighed down by addiction and sin, would you rescue and redeem them? To others who are saved by Christ, would you give them a deeper delight in you today? It's in your name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. So when you pray, when I pray, what makes us think that our prayers are heard? 
When you pray, why do you think that your prayers will be heard in heaven? That's what Jesus is helping us to see in this passage. He's answering that question. He's letting us know when we pray, this is how we know we'll be heard. Now, he looks at two different categories of people. Some, in the very first part that we read, do some other things that make them feel that their prayers are heard by God. And then you see Jesus instead churn things, change the tables, and say, no, this is how you should pray. So you see, at the very beginning, there's a couple people who are praying in religious ways. If we pray in religious ways and we pray in such a way that people see us and think better of us, then we know that God has heard us. He says it in here that they stand and they pray openly in synagogues, that they may be seen by others. Now, Jesus is not slamming public prayers. I didn't just sin a second ago when I prayed for you and we prayed out loud. That's not what Jesus is coming down hard on in this statement. What Jesus is coming down on is a crooked motive of heart. These people believe if I pray and and I do these things in religious ways where other people see us, they'll think better of me and even God in heaven will hear me. But what Jesus is saying is those types of prayers fall on deaf ears in heaven. Because they're from an impure motive of heart. I mean, today we, we could sit here and talk about how people in the past would wear certain shawls that we could kind of make fun of or mock. Or we could look back in through history about how people would pray publicly standing outside of the church. And we can make fun of them. And all that would do would be us pointing fingers at them. But we often do the same thing. We pray in, in such a way that we want others to think well of us. Instead of letting our hearts be bowed in reverence before our Father in heaven. I mean, for us today, if we maybe retranslated this to our time, there's people that love to show their religious nature through Instagram. So they'll post their, their certain books that they've read this past year, not because they want other people to read those books, or maybe not because they, they desire that, that, uh, that people just know. That, no, they, they want to be recognized as religious people, right? We've read these books, think better of me. Or maybe we'll put out on, on the grammar social media, like, I attended church today. But it's not because you really wanted people to think, man, I, I should go to church. Or get them to think about God. But it's, you want them to think more about you and better about you. And Jesus would say, when we do things like that, Whatever you got, whatever reward in social media that you got that people thought well or thought better of you, that's your reward. That's it. That's all you get. But Jesus tells us instead, for us, let us go and and shut the door and pray to our Father who is in secret. And you're going to see Father mentioned several times before he even gets to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is just priming the pump of this picture of God as Father. And he says at the end of verse 6, when you pray in secret, your father who is in secret will reward you. He will reward you. So there's one group of people who are praying in religious ways, hoping to manipulate God to answer their prayers. But there's another group of people that Jesus says, hey, don't pray like these people either. And it's the people who try to uh, put in the time, clock the hours of prayer. And if we could do enough of that, then then God needs and has to answer my prayers. In verse 7, he says that there's a group of people that believe that they'll be heard by God for their many words, verse 7 says. For their 
many words. If I just clock my hours, I just do my time, if I just pray enough and I just pray long enough, then God will hear my prayers. Now, again, God is not opposed to long prayers. If you remember, he actually tells his disciples, could you not pray with me one hour? Like, could you not just give one hour in prayer to me? So God's not opposed to hour-long prayers or, or, or really long prayers. But once again, these people are praying, thinking, if I pray with many words and I pray a long time, then God must listen to me. Now, what's fascinating is you can look across all these different religions, and what you'll see is that most of them have some kind of teaching that matches this, that God will hear you for your many words. I mean, if you look and people say, well, if I just pray enough Hail Marys, then God will hear me and answer my prayers. If I quote enough verses of the Quran, then God will hear and answer my prayers. Allah will answer my prayers, right? Buddhists will have a prayer wheel that they spin, and they'll walk, and they'll spin it. And as they spin, more prayers are being lifted up. Or if I light a candle, that's a prayer that continues to rise to God. But all of those are what Jesus is saying, no. That's not where your confidence lies in your prayers being heard. It's not because they're long or that you spin a wheel or you count a certain number of beads that God is in a place that he has to answer your prayers. See, if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll turn this relationship between us and God a, into a business relationship. Where you're like, God, I have done my work. I have done my time. I have prayed my prayers. So now that I've put in my work, now my wages are due to me. So answer my prayers. Give me what I have asked for. And you can see in your own heart, in your own life, if you're looking at God with prayers and you and your heart gets cold when he doesn't answer them the way you want or you desire, and your heart starts to harden towards him, that maybe, just maybe, you're looking at him as a business partner. Where, hey, I've done my time, I've paid my rent, you owe me this. But Jesus is saying, don't look at God like that. Instead, look at him not as a business relationship, but as a family relationship. Pray to him as a father. That's where our confidence rests, that our prayers will be heard. Because God is our father. Jesus does not start this model prayer with our king. He doesn't start it with our creator. He doesn't start it with our friend, though all of those things are true about God. Every one of them are theologically accurate. That is not where Jesus starts. He says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Our Father. It's a family relationship that we would have. God is not in heaven as some policeman that you have to appease with your words. He's not some tyrant that you have to impress in order for him to answer your prayers. You don't have to negotiate with God. God is a loving Father who cherishes us. So understanding that God is Father is so important to our prayer life. It's so important to how we approach Him with confidence, knowing that His love and His grace meets us. So what I want to do with the last half of this time that we have is look at this understanding of why God would hear our prayers. 
Why God would hear our prayers is because he's Father. What does that mean? When Jesus talks about God as Father, what does it mean for us that God is Father? What does it mean? Now, this passage is not teaching that God is male, for God is spirit. He's not man or woman, but man and woman are created in his image. Instead, what God is trying to highlight here when he says that he is Father is there's something about fatherness that God deeply wants us to connect with him. What is that thing that God wants us to think and understand about him when we look at fathers? Well, I think he desires for us to understand the dual aspects of strength and love. Strength and love. That's what a father is meant to wed together. Both might and power, but love and grace together. Now, I realize for many of us, this is not where we land. We live in a fatherless society for the most part. So for some of us, we hear that God is Father and it's, it's a negative to us. It might be one of your greatest hindrances to coming and believing in God and finding salvation. Maybe you grew up and your father abandoned your family and just left. Or maybe you were around an abusive father. So you hear father and it's a zero at best or a net negative for you. It may be the very reason why you've never committed your life to God in the first place. But you're not alone with this feeling. Actually, if you look at history, it's fascinating this whole idea of abusive fathers or, or fathers that have abandoned of families, it has deeply wounded many people. The, many of the atheistic philosophers out there have this as their foundation. Karl Marx, um, Albert Camus, Friedrich Nietzsche, Sigmund Freud, all of these men, all of them, had fathers who abused them or abandoned them. Every one of them. And they grew up and they could not believe or would not believe in God because this picture of the fatherness of God, they didn't truly understand. Even for us that grew up in the 90s, Kurt Cobain said in an interview that the whole grunge movement that he helped start and nihilism, which he kind of revitalized at that time, he said came from the fact that his dad left their family. All of the grunge movement from the 90s, he said, stems from the fact that his dad dad left. You see, seeing God as father might be a great hindrance for you. But I want you to understand today, Christ, God would want you to understand that he is not sitting here saying that he is an elevated view of your father. He's not. He is the perfect view of what your father should be. Our God is the glorious father, the heavenly father. And I love what God's word says to those who would say, my dad abandoned me, or I lost my dad early in life. Psalm 27 says this, even if my father forsakes me, the Lord will take care of me. Even if your father would abandon you, God says, I will not abandon you. I won't. I will take care of you. Psalm 68 says this, that he is the father to the fatherless. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't have a dad, I don't have a father. God wants us to see this truth that he is the perfect father who will not forsake you, nor leave you, nor fail you, nor let you down. 
He is a heavenly father who loves you. He's the perfect father. And as the perfect father, he knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your discouragements. He knows your failures. He knows you. And that's why Jesus says in verse 8, he knows what you need even before you ask it. Heavenly Father knows what you need even before you come to him in prayer. Now some of you say, well, that's why I don't pray. That's why I don't pray. That's why I don't ask God for anything because he already knows everything that, that, that I need. So obviously I don't need to pray to him. But we know that's not what Jesus is teaching here when he says that. Because in just a few verses and in a few weeks we're going to get there, Jesus says to the Father, give us this day our daily bread. Did God the Father already know that we needed that daily bread? Absolutely. And yet Jesus is going to say you should still pray and ask him about your daily needs. Because it's not just about trying to instruct God in our prayers. It's not just trying to inform God with our prayers. Prayers are meant to be personal. Prayers are, most, are supposed to be about communication with our Heavenly Father. God's not looking at us and trying to, to, to get us to, to pray so that it manipulates Him or twists His arm to do what we want Him to do. No, He knows what we need. And when we pray, it's about a relationship with our Father. It's personal. And God wants that personal connection. Just a couple points of application with this question. First is this. Let us enjoy our Heavenly Father in our prayers. Let us enjoy our Heavenly Father. Let us enjoy God in our prayers. You see, when I mentioned last Sunday that our vision and our focus for 2023 was prayer. It's interesting because a lot of times we hear that we're going to focus on prayer and I and I. Very few of you, maybe some of you, but very few of you are probably like, yes, prayer. Like, that's what I was so excited about. Like, we're going to spend a year on prayer? Oh, I'm so excited. That's probably not what most of us thought last week when we talked about that our vision for this coming up year is prayer. Most of us probably felt the exact opposite of that. We probably felt shame. Like, if we could get out here and get like a shameometer out, and we talked about some of those stats we talked about last year, kind of where we are as a nation in prayer. Most of us probably felt terrible, like, oh, gosh, yeah, I know I should pray more. I don't pray enough. So there's not excitement. There's probably a sense of shame that we feel. But you need to hear that your Heavenly Father doesn't want you to feel that way. God might convict us to, to change us or to grow us in a deeper relationship with Him, but we shouldn't be entering into prayer feeling shameful all the time. We're feeling defeated or being like, oh gosh, it has been a while since I've prayed to you, so I guess I need to pray. And then you walk away feeling shame. No, that's not what the Father desires. He knows what you need. He doesn't need you to pray to Him. He's desiring to have a relationship with you so you'd interact with Him. And so may we have joy in our prayers to Him. May we know the deep love of our Father and how much he cherishes us and loves us and knows what we need even before we ask him. Oh, that we would change our prayer lives this year to enjoy the presence of God and dwelling with him. May we change from shame to delight in our prayers, knowing that God is our Father and he hears our prayers. The second point in application with this is when we pray, let us revere him in our prayers. 
Yes, let's delight in him, let's cherish him, but also let's revere him in our prayers. It says in verse 9, as Jesus starts this prayer, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowing something is, is something that is set apart. It means that it's different. To believe that the, the name of, of God has character, has weight, has value. To believe and to trust in it. Not just know a list of names of God, but to believe the truth of those names, the reality of those attributes, to be real. This is hallowing the name of God. Now, he, once again, doesn't need creation to understand all of his names or to hallow his name. It is good for us in our prayers to remember who our Father is and how deep his love is for us. And I love in verse 9 that Jesus says, when you pray like this, pray, our Father, our Father. Because this is something he desires for us to do corporately. That we would hallow, that we'd lift up God's name as a community together. Jesus doesn't start and he says, pray like this, my Father who is in heaven. This is a plural thing. So yes, there's times where we go away in secret and we pray to our Father in heaven, but Jesus starts to just like, no, let's pray as a community. Let's do this together. Our Father who is in heaven. And I'm excited that this week as small groups start back, that's one thing you're going to have a, uh, the opportunity to do. Our small group booklets this week have a bunch of names of God, different attributes of God, titles of God. And this week at small group, you're going to be able to look through some of those, be able to praise God, hallow his name because of this. And we get to do it together as a community. We get to pray and say, our Father who is in heaven, one who loves and cares for me as his child will love and care for you if you are his child too. So let's hallow his name. Let's revere him in our prayers. Let's interact with him with joy through our prayers, knowing this is what a heavenly father looks like. This is what a heavenly father is meant to be. Now you might hear that and say, okay, Ryan, you're saying that there's this God who is like a father in heaven, who is both strong and powerful, and he's loving, so he knows all of my needs, and he's kind enough to hear all of my prayers, and he's wise enough to, to act on, on my request in the best way for me. So Ryan, why in the world would I want that God as my heavenly father? Now, those are a list of great reasons that he is loving and that he is strong. But I want to get re really specific with this. Because some of you hear those things and you're just like, nope, I'm good on my own. I've gone without my earthly dad in my life. I'm going to go without my heavenly dad. And I want to plead, I want to beg with you with this second point of why you should want God as your heavenly father. Understanding these truths, when I say God is both powerful and mighty and strong, and God is both loving, what that practically means for you and for me as we look at God as a heavenly father. The first is this. Why should I want God as my heavenly father? Because there is less fear because of his power. There is less fear in our life because we understand the loving power of our father. Now you might be looking at this passage saying, Ryan, I don't, I don't see a verse that, that says that right in here. So like, what, what are you talking about? Well, in just a few verses later, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to say in verses 31 through 32, he says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. 
but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, Jesus is going to say, understanding that God is Father, all these fears and all these anxieties that we have bubbling up within us, we're like, am I going to have enough? Is God going to provide? Am I going to make it through another year? Am I going to be able to pay bills? Are there going to be people in my life? Is God going to provide? All these stresses and worries that are welling up in our heart, Jesus is saying, no, stop. Stop. You see, those are people that don't know God. Those people that don't know God, they're full of fear. They're full of anxiety. They're full of depression. But you, you should know that there's a heavenly Father that loves you and that promises to provide all these things for you. He knows that you need all of these things. And this should give us comfort. Jesus even says multiple times in this chapter, do not worry. Do not be fearful. Do not be anxious. I mean, my kids don't do this. My kids, kids aren't fearful and afraid. They, don't, they didn't wake up today saying, man, is there food downstairs in the pantry? Am I going to have anything to eat today? Do I have clothes to put on? Like My kids weren't asking those questions. Those, those questions aren't even in my kids' mindset right now. Why? Because they have a father who's strong enough to provide for them and loving enough to want to. So those fears aren't even there in their hearts because they know they have a good Father who loves and provides for them. God in heaven is much better than me. Much, much better. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going to kind of, this is a parallel chapter to what we see in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is going to attach an illustration to this whole fatherhood model. And he says this, what father among you, if your son asks for a fish, instead will give him a serpent? Which I love the humor of Christ here. I mean, a kid says, I want a fish. And he's like, which one of you, as a dad, is going to look at his son and say, you want a fish? Here's a snake. Here's a snake, right? Like, no. And then he says, if your son asks for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? No. And then Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, if you then, who are evil. Ouch, Jesus. <laughs> if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more the Heavenly Father? Do we know our Heavenly Father? Do we know His great power and might to provide all that we need? See, the antidote to our anxiety is to rest in the authority of your Heavenly Father. To rest in the power of your Father. This is stabilizing. This is stabilizing to know and understand this truth. That God is strong. That God is powerful. He can break the chains of our fears. The one who flung the stars into space can bring peace to our chaos. This is who our God is. So knowing and believing this truth brings less fear and less anxiety to our hearts and our lives. Now, I just, I just listed out where theologically we find this truth in multiple passages of Scripture. But if you're still on the fence and you're like, I, I don't know if this whole prayer thing is really going to help me with my anxiety or my fear, then listen to some of these studies by secular institutions about praying to God and understanding Him as this loving God. NYU did a study, found that it helped alcoholics 
if they would stop and pray when their cravings hit, it would actually calm some of their cravings. That's NYU. Harvard Med did a study that said that people who take periods of prayer found that it lowered their uh, blood pressure, that it slowed their heart rate, and that it even created a tranquil alertness of mind. This is fascinating. It's fascinating that they're seeing that blood pressure is decreasing and that a calm state is coming over these people who regularly pray. Harvard Med. And what's fascinating about that is if you look across the U.S., more than half of doctor's visits are because of an illness like depression or high blood pressure or ulcers or migraines, which are caused by elevated levels of stress and anxiety. And this study is saying if you'll pray, if you'll pause in your daily life, you will find more peace. A study out of the University of Pennsylvania, this is fascinating, found that these Franciscan nuns that pray regularly had a higher dopamine level than people like you and I, which means that they're happier. These people are happier than we are because they regularly pray throughout their day. The National Institute of Health said this, people who pray daily are 40% less likely to have high blood pressure. These are from secular institutions saying that there's something going on in our minds, psychologically and our bodies physiologically, that when we pray and we come to God, it reduces the fear and anxiety in our lives. What I think is fascinating about it is they're doing these studies and they're like, look, we've discovered a correlation. No, you haven't. You're just documenting it. It's already been discovered. It's been mentioned here thousands and thousands of years ago. This is how we were made. We were created to communicate with God and commune with him. We're not discovering anything. We're just documenting it. God's word is telling us it's going to reduce fear to not worry. But even statistics today are saying the same thing. So let us come to him and find less fear in our life as we look to him as father. But second, we'll find more freedom. We'll find more freedom because of his love. If we understand the theological reality that he is a loving father, it will actually give us more freedom. See, our lives are oftentimes filled with the sins and addictions that are chaining us down. It's bringing death into our life and not freedom. And what God desires to give us is his peace in the love of the father. It's fascinating, this man today, he's not a believer, but he's the leading um, writer, one of the leading voices on addiction, Patrick Carnes. Patrick Carnes has written a number of books about the addictions that we find in our life. And it's interesting because as he wrote and, 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 and did all these researches, what he found is that what leads people to these addictions of sex in a broken way, or an addiction to a substance that's withering up their life, and they look for a release in all these different ways. When he looked across the board and he did all these researches, he studied with all these people, he said, at the root of all these addictions is that people feel unloved and unlovable. That's not the answer I expected. The addictions and the struggle that we have, all these chains in our lives that we're trying to break free of, he's saying through all the research and study that he's poured his life into, it's because people feel unloved and unlovable. God is telling you right here, you have a father 
A father who loves you and knows you and cares about you. You see, if we understood this truth and we rested in this truth and we brought our prayers with the reality that God loves us and cares for us, all the freedom we would find. No one we might feel unlovable, but we are deeply loved by God in heaven. And there's no one who knows the depths of our insecurities, nor our pain, nor our suffering, nor our faults, nor our failures. He loves us. Now, what's interesting is what Patrick Carnes is talking about, this whole idea of we feel unloved and unlovable, so we pursue these sins, and that's not a word he would use because he's not a believer. He would use addictions. What he's ultimately doing is he's pointing to what James says in James chapter 1. It all comes down to this root that we don't feel loved and we're questioning whether we are. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, you'll see it on the screen, says this. But each person is tempted when he's allured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire which is conceived gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, brings forth death. And then he says in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of change. Now he talks about our sins that come from a selfish heart, that lead us when we're tempted to, to give in to these desires, and then when they are uh, uh, grown, they come to death in our lives. And then he says, do not be deceived, in verse 16. Now, what's the deception? What's the deception that leads us to go down this path of sin and addictions and all these other things, these failures? It's a failure to have a deep understanding that we are loved by our Father. He doesn't say, don't be deceived, this sin is going to to kill you. He doesn't say that this sin is going to make you lose your job or lose your family. Don't be deceived in that way. That's not what he says. No, he says, don't be deceived. Every good gift comes from your Father in heaven. The deception that leads us into all these dark pits is us questioning whether God is a loving God. Whether our good God will provide for us all that we need. That's the deception that leads us into all of these terrible situations. And he's saying, don't be deceived in that way. Believe the truth that God is a heavenly father that loves you and cares for you. He is both strong and powerful. He is both loving and gracious. This is who our God is. And this is the one we pray to. This is where our confidence comes from, that he hears our prayers. So if you've never, you've never thought about God in that way, you've thought your prayers are going to be heard because of the religious acts that you do, or you feel like your your, your prayers will be heard because of your many words, would you believe and receive God as your Father? Not through manipulation, not through you trying to, to, to stir or to twist God's arm to give you what you want, but because He's a good, gracious, loving Father. You might say, okay, well, how do I do that? How is it that I, that I have a heavenly father like this? That leads us to our last point. How do I get God as my heavenly father? Now, there's a very 
very important truth that you have to understand from this reality that we have a heavenly father. And I want to help you understand it through a quick illustration here. Let's imagine today that uh, we went out to lunch after service. And after lunch, we're um, at a restaurant, we're waiting in line to give our order, and uh, this kid comes up to me and runs up and says, hey, can I have $100? We would both look at each other and be like, do, do you know that kid? No, I, I don't know that kid. Okay, no, I'm not giving you $100. I don't even know who you are, right? And the kid goes and sits down. And we're sitting down and we're eating our, our, our lunch together, and uh, one of the servers drops uh, uh, one of their their plates, and it shatters on the ground and scares this, this five-year-old kid that had asked me for $100 earlier. And he runs and he jumps into the booth that we're sitting in, and he's like trying to cuddle up next to me because he's scared and afraid in that moment. We would be like, what? This is odd. Why would that be so odd and so weird that this kid would come up and ask me for $100? And why is it so foreign to us to think about this kid coming up and jumping into this booth and trying to cuddle up next to me in his fear. Why is that weird? Because he's not my child. He's not my kid. I mean, if that were my kid, that would make sense that he would come up and ask me for something. And if that's my kid and he's afraid and he runs up, I would, I would want to comfort him, right? But it's weird when it's not my child. I'm not his father. And we need to understand this truth that not everybody in here and those that are watching online is God your heavenly father. We are not naturally born as God as our father. We don't, that's not how it works. Jesus actually told some guys who thought that God was their father, no, 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 your father is actually Satan. Once again, it's like, yikes, Jesus, that's pretty rough. And, and we see in else, elsewhere in scripture that it says that before Christ rescued and redeemed us, that we were actually children of wrath. Children of wrath, not children of a heavenly father. The only way that we get to have a heavenly father is through adoption. Biblically speaking, the only way that we get to look and say that God is our heavenly father is through adoption. There's no other way. There's no other way. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7 says this, But in the fullness of time had come, God the Father, God sent his Son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus came in order that we would have a way to be adopted into the family of God. Jesus came and said, I am the way to the Father. There is no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't manipulate God in order to be his child. There is no other way apart from the Son of God redeeming you from your sins. There is no other way. And this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. He pours his grace upon grace out on us. And because he has redeemed us, if we believe in him to forgive us of our sins, then we can pray. 
knowing that our Heavenly Father hears all of our prayers and is faithful to answer. Is faithful to answer. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son that we could be adopted into your family. Lord, our sins is what is what has broken our relationship, our, 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 our addictions, our transgressions, our iniquity have all distanced us from you. But Father, you sent your son. You sent your son because of your great love for us to rescue us, to break the chains of sin in our life and to give us hope to remove the fear and anxiety that we have and to give us peace. So God, we know that we can call upon you as Father, not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done on our behalf. So Lord, some of us today, some of us today, Lord, may need to pray to you and ask that you would forgive us and adopt us into your family. Others of us, Maybe we just need to sit and cherish the reality, the truth that you are a father. That you will never leave nor forsake us. That you are both powerful and mighty. That you love and care for us. Lord, stir our hearts to respond to this truth today. Through prayer, through action, Lord, through our lives this week. May we pray to you as our heavenly father. It's in your name that we pray that now. Amen. Church, let's stand now and we're going to open this last song. It's kind of a theme uh, song for us. We're going to sing it each week. It's the Lord's Prayer, just a little bit reworded. But it's meant to stir our hearts to use this model prayer that Jesus gives us to pray to God as our Father. So listen and sing to Him now.